Now look here, what I told y'all to pray about, folks. When we're praying and fasting, this guy just walked in the door one night and said, we're looking for a church, right? Casey, thank you so much, buddy, and your sweet family. What a blessing y'all have been to us. I mean, just folks are there. God just, we just got to let them know. I keep telling y'all, folks find out what we're doing in here. You won't be able to keep them out. Amen? Amen. I love that music was awesome. Amen? That's awesome. Y'all find 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> now, you'll remember last week, I'm sure that you remember this. We talked about the foundation of church success, and I still believe this with all my heart, that unity is the foundation of church success. You've got to have all the doctrine. You've got to have everything. You've got to have the gospel message, all that. But if the church is not in unity, you, you can't move forward. Amen? Now, that, if you want to kill it, that's what today's message is. And Paul is going to deal with that. Now, you remember in context, these first four messages, Paul's talking about divisions in the church. He's saying this is why they were having all these fights and problems and quarrels. And so Paul is beginning to, to speak to the Corinthians in, in their hearts. And he's saying, listen, the first message was unity. Don't fight over who the best preacher is. And that was last week's message. I have so much here for you because this is a big section. I'm going to try to get through about half of it. But we're going to read, read this here. We're talking about the, the final nail, really, in the coffin. Paul is really, to recap the church's main problems they were having divisions and quarrels and strife they were following human leaders worldly walking worldly wisdom and Paul is going to attack that today uh, and and we're going to look at this worldly wisdom and worldly walking this morning and I'm going to taxi into this and we're going to go as far as we can and then but let's let's read uh, a good portion of this uh, to at least to verse number 25 okay for the message of the cross, verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. <clears throat> For it is written, what does pastor tell you? When you see where it's written, you look for where it's written. Amen? This is the scripture. If you worry about your Old Testament, don't worry about it. Paul the apostle is quoting the Old Testament because it's the word of God. Amen? Amen? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will set aside the understanding of the experts. This is the Holman Christian standard. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the, the world's wisdom foolishness? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom... For since in God's wisdom, the world, the world didn't know who God was. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. Wow. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to those Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. <clears throat> to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And so here what we, we begin here, we deal with these first few verses. We're going to look at all, all verse 31, all the way to verse 31 really deals with the same problem. Paul takes a little bit of a, a different look at it, but 
Uh, if you want to put the final nail in the, in the coffin of the church today, and actually you're actually seeing it, the message is actually coming true in the hearing of your ears right now. Because there's a lot of people and a lot of churches, a lot of uh, institutions, secular and sacred, who've gone woke now. And they think, well, we, we just, man knows his business now. And we've kind of arrived and we're better than we used to be. And we can just kind of leave God out of it. And we can just go ahead and we'll get woke and understand all this foolishness. And man's wisdom is pretty smart. But if you want to put the nail in the coffin of the church today, if you wanted to really kill it, would you just keep going on with man's wisdom? And man's wisdom gets in and ruins everything. The church is different. The church doesn't need man's wisdom. The church exists and is different from any other entity that is actually out there. It functions on a different plane. The church is not like worldly businesses or anything else. It survives on different food. I'm I'm coming out of the Word of God today. I don't have any, I may quote a poem every now and then, but I'm not preaching from a poem. I'm not preaching from the illustrations. I'm preaching the Word of God. We're going to break it down and look at it and let you see the truth in the Word of God. I'm not preaching a message I got from the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm not preaching a message from anybody else. I don't care what the SBC is doing. I don't care what the Baptists are doing. I don't care what the Pentecostals are doing. I care about what's in the book. And I'm not going to go to hell because I'm, I'm going to be a Baptist. I'm going to tell you, if you ask me, the first question you're going to get is, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And anymore, I'm scared to even say I'm a Baptist. I'm just going to say I'm a scripturalist. I'm a biblicist. I believe in the Bible. Y'all all right? The church is different. It succeeds by different rules. We answer to a higher power. We exist for a different purpose. It's not to be secular. It's not a business. Paul says we're a body. We operate differently. It doesn't prosper by quotas. If you got 40,000 members, 35,000 of them may be lost. If you got 10 believers who are really believers in growing in Jesus, they're more important in the kingdom of God and more spiritual than 40,000 people who are lost. I see a stadium full every time the Braves play. There's a lot of people in there, and I'm sure a lot of them are believers, but they're not a church. There's a lot of man's wisdom in there, but they're not as important as the church. The church doesn't prosper by quotas. It's, It's mysterious in nature. It's unstoppable through the Spirit. It has its origin literally in God himself, and it breathes life by the way of the Holy Spirit. It has its security literally in God himself through the promises of holy writ. So if the church exists through the promises of what God has given us, why would you ignore the promises that God has given us? It's there in the book. It's eternal. It's secure. It's the womb of Christian activity. The church is my family. It's living. It's breathing. It's dynamic. It's changing. It's moving. It's not dead. It is spiritual. It's very important. And you and I belong to it. And it it will never have success in worldly wisdom. Can't have success in worldly wisdom. The proof of it is worldly wisdom is void of spiritual significance. It's powerless spiritually. You can't call on secular worldly wisdom to help you when you have spiritual problems. 
Man's wisdom cannot solve the greatest problem that you have, which is sin and being separated from God. It misses the power of the gospel. Paul literally says, if man was so wise, how come they missed the, the, the Savior of glory? It was, it was God. It, it has God for its enemy. How could man's wisdom, who has God as its enemy, be anything of any significance? And the Lord says right here, if you'll look, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. And so all the people that folks today are listening to out there, I want you to know the the basis, the foundation from where you're getting your truth, whether it be spiritual or secular, whatever you're thinking about, if it's man-made worldly wisdom, God says he's going to destroy it. Wow, that's amazing. God says, I will make them foolish. It is misguided. It seeks its own. It cannot, uh, it cannot see truth as a value. has no way of knowing what's good or bad. You, you see, let me just tell you, let me tell you something. The reason that you're seeing the problems we're seeing today, you remember back when evolution first came about. And, and people, we, those of us who knew the foolishness and the silliness of evolution, here's what we said. Who would be that dumb to believe that? Well, if you keep saying it over and over again, it becomes a reality. And we were, and believers have always said, it's ridiculous. The way they're saying that this happened is not true. And I want to tell you, I used to say this a long time ago, and people would say, that's not true. I said, yes, it is. If you're an evolutionist, you'll believe anything. You say, well, Brother Jerry, how can you prove that? Because some of them have also uh, brought about this, these truths that now it's accepted truth that a man can just say he's a woman and he's a woman. You have to be an idiot to believe that. And they'll actually believe that and accept it. And many of the people in the colleges and many of the people that have been elected by this current administration sit in front of you who, who are literally a part of the, the health of the nation. Their job is to take care of the health of the nation, and they will tell you that a man can be a woman. One person on TV the other day said a man can have a baby. Well, to tell you, you can't. You don't have the right hardware, partner. And you can claim whatever you want to, but whatever your DNA says, that's who you are. If you think an evolutionist used to say that, man's wisdom now. Well, well, look how the world was created. No, it wasn't in the beginning God. That's where it came from. God created it. But Charlie and I talked about yesterday while we was working together. I said, you know, some people actually believe all the oil got in the ground by some little creatures in the sea that all came together and died and made some oil. I want to tell you how the oil got there. It's real simple. God put it there. That's what happened. It is built on pride and self-satisfaction. Now, I want to take you verse by verse. Look at verse number 18. Here's the message of the cross. Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The people that need to be saved by the message are the very people that are saying that it's foolishness. But it is God's power to us who are being saved. The, the word there for message is the word logos. You'll remember John, just an old redneck fisherman, said, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm telling you, that is the greatest statement that's ever been t- said about Jesus anytime or anywhere. That blew the Greeks away. 
because they all knew about the logos. The logos came from thoughts. The words came from thoughts, and thoughts came from reasoning, and reasoning was the order of the day. In other, in other words, reasoning is literally man's wisdom. But John came along and said, no, in the beginning was the reasoning. In the beginning was the reasoner. That's just an old fisherman. I'll tell you what, I'll take an old, silly, uneducated, redneck fisherman filled with the Holy Spirit, truly saved in Jesus, over a scholar any day from Harvard. Y'all all right? Logos, the message, the, the Greek word here, he says the message, the preaching of the cross is literally foolishness. The word for cross here is stauros in the Greek. It means self-denial. It means atonement. Our most precious message is, the, is that God brought atonement to us by way of the cross. The cross literally represents self-denial. That's how you're saved. You see, Jesus denied everything to take the cross to die for you and me. The cross, and then he says, take up your cross and follow me. What you're doing, he's, what you're doing actually is saying that statement means that as you come to Christ, you leave everything behind. You, listen, listen very carefully. You may be a Catholic today. You may be a Pentecostal. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're not saved, you, you may be putting more faith in being a Catholic than you are the Lord Jesus. And he says in order to be saved, you have to forsake everything. Forsake your sin. Forsake your denomination. Forsake your, forsake your parents. Forsake everyone for the cause of Jesus Christ. Nothing or no one will save you but Jesus Christ. It's his atonement on the, on the cross of Jesus Christ that saves you, period. There won't be any Southern Baptists in heaven. My Southern Baptist brethren don't like that. But when I get there, the only question is going to be, what did you do with my son? Y'all all right? But I'll tell you, there's people so died in the wool into their denominations and where they came from and their heritage that they're going to miss heaven because of it. Our most precious thing is the cross. In Matthew uh, chapter 16 and verse 24, the cross is described as a symbol of shame. It's a curse. Our sin is God's greatest gift to you. Matthew says, then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Listen, listen to Colossians. Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There was a beating. There was a crucifixion. The, the Son of God, the perfect land, shed his blood so that you and I could come to know the Father. Worldly wisdom says that the word of the cross is folly or that it's foolishness. The Greek word is moria, mor, moron, moros. It's the word moron. The people that literally look at you and me, they think that we're morons. You say, well, Brother Jerry, that's not a politically correct word. You shouldn't be saying that. I'm telling you what the Bible says, and I'm telling you what the people who are telling you that that's not politically correct are saying about you. They think you're just some old dumb, Bible-thumping Southerner down here that you don't have any sense. You're a moron because you're preaching something as foolish as the cross. And I'm going to stand on the cross as, until they put me in the ground. It is the only hope of mankind. Y'all all right? 
Listen, this is a present middle participle. It means that they think themselves. They're the ones who are thinking that you're morons. It's not even God doing it to them. The Greek grammar literally says that people that look at you and think that you're saved, they're full of manly, worldly wisdom. They make fun of the cross. They themselves, the middle verbs, they themselves are the ones who come up with this, that you're a moron. That's what they think. If, if we keep on sinning, Hebrews 10 says, after we've received knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sin. They're perishing due to their own choice and reject the power of God that could save them. Look very carefully at the text. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is unbelievable. It would be as if you, you pulled up into a boat and a man had fallen out of his boat, hit his head, he couldn't swim, and you threw him a, 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 a life raft and said, Sir, just please just grab it, just grab it, just grab it. And he would say, Oh, that is just the most foolish thing I've ever heard of. I'm just going to swim to shore. I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to trust that thing that's floating on the water to help me. I'm going to swim and drown halfway to the bank. That's what this is all about. And, and the message of the cross is there for people. And I want you to notice also right there how, uh, the power of God, how the power of God draws people. N notice this. It draws, it saves, it sanctifies, it removes sin, it breaks the bondages, and so on. I've experienced the power of the cross, and anybody who tells me that what's in my heart and I have not experienced the power of the cross, he's the moron. Not me. I, I, I've been born again. I'm believing. Now watch this. Look at the, the phrase there, being saved. See, some people don't understand this. I've been saved. I'm being saved. I'm going to be saved. Y'all right? It's a little Greek word, sozo. It's not going to stop. I'm being saved by the power of God. And the word power right there is the word dunamis. Do you all know what the power of God is? The power of God is the ability of God. That's what the power of God is. It's the ability of God. If you tell me you're powerful and you can't lift something, I'd say, well, you just lied to me. You can't do that. You don't have the ability to lift that. But if, God, if he says here that the cross, the blood of Jesus, is the power of God, it's the dunamis. Now, I don't think Paul knew what dynamite was, but we get our word dynamite from that. It's the dynamite of God. The cross is the dynamite. You don't, think it's, you don't think the cross causes problems? You don't think it causes things to blow up? Well, you just go in the boardroom and start talking about the cross and find out what happens. You get around a bunch of people that have a lot of worldly wisdom and you start talking about the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. They'll be the dynamite of God. will get in there. It'll blow the room up. They won't know what to do with you. Look at verse 19. Boy, I love this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is this written at? A quote from Isaiah 29, 14. Listen, therefore, once more, I will astound the people with wonder upon wonder. With wisdom of the wise, they will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. God has set down in his administration of the church and the universe to destroy the wisdom and the understanding of men. By these two things, man thinks that he's bigger than God by his wisdom and his understanding. If you look over in uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, you'll see he says, The one who plants or waters is nothing, 
only God who makes it grow. God's the one that does things. We don't do things. Ask a heart surgeon who's filled with uh, worldly wisdom, and not all heart surgeons are lost, but I'm just saying many doctors think they're so intelligent, many lawyers think they're so intelligent, and he'll say, oh, I went in and saved this man's life. No, you didn't. You can't make anybody's skin grow back together. The Lord did that, and the Lord gave you understanding in order to be able to do that. Intelligent people can forget from where their intelligence came from. How does, how does God bring humanity's wisdom to nothing? The origin of the universe. Well, I love this. Worldly wisdom says the most dumbest things about how we got here. The Greek words that Paul uses here is apolumi. It's a, it's a terrible word in the New Testament. It, it means to destroy or perish. Man's wisdom will literally be destroyed and made fun of. And he says here, it'll be set aside. The word synunus is the word to pull together. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to me. The word for understanding is synusis. It means to pull things together. And here's the idea of it, is that God lets you, God allows you to take knowledge that you have and pull those things together in your mind, put the pieces of the puzzle together, and come to some understanding. Now, to tell you, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter if you're a heart surgeon, it doesn't matter if you're a mechanic, a school teacher, or whoever you are today, I want to tell you that God Almighty gave you the ability in your brain to put things together in your mind. No matter what you're capable of, no matter what you're doing, God has to be the one to do it. You can plant, you can water, you can do whatever you want, but only God can make a seed germinate and grow. You can operate on people, you can understand all the legalese that there is, but God is the one that allows you and me. You see, when man's worldly wisdom, when he gets to a certain place that he gets too big for his britches, and he says, look how smart I am. I don't need God for anything. He, Paul says here that there's coming a day that God literally, I think Paul's speaking spiritually, he's saying that man in all of his wisdom, I'm going to cut off his wisdom. I'm going to destroy his ability to think. I think Paul's thinking spiritually. And we're there today. Men can't come to Christ because God's blinding their eyes. And why is God blinding their eyes? Because they got too big for their britches. Look at verse number 20. This is a great question. Boy, I love this. Where's the philosopher? Where's the scholar? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolishness? Paul says, where are you guys at? Come talk to me. You see, we still have ignorance in this world. We have disease. We have hunger. Why has man's wisdom not fixed all of this by now? Oh, we have, we're, we're heading to the utopia. Boy, I'm going to tell you, if this, if this looks like what it, it is getting to the utopia, we're in a lot of trouble. Everybody thought, oh, back before World War I and II, we, this is going to be a utopia. Man's going to fix the world, secular humanism. And I have a book at home with all of these people, the big muckety-mucks of the world, signed the Humanist Manifesto. We're going to fix the world. They ain't fixed anything. And then World War I and World War II happened. Man, what happened to the Humanist Manifesto? And you guess what? I'll tell you what it is. It's been, it's been chewed on like the cud and regurgitated as Marxism today. That's where it's at. That's where all this idiotic stuff is coming from. That's where it's coming from. Why has man's wisdom not fixed it? Why can't we fix cancer? I tell you, we've thrown enough money at cancer. It should have been cured ten times over by now. 
Why does the scholar not record the history so that we stop repeating it? Why is our government unable to even balance a budget? The government's going to tell you, but we're going to fix your life. We're going to take care of you. I tell you, if you want to see a hotbed of ignorance, you just go watch the government work. I'll tell you, they're wasting more money by the second than this country can make in 10 years. Why all the corruption that's there? They can't even balance the budget. How are they going to control the country? You want to tell you why? Because it's man's wisdom. We had a president, Barack Obama, who said you couldn't run the country by the, the principles on the Sermon on the Mount. That's the ultimate statement of man's ignorance and man's worldliness. Gov- I tell you what, I really believe this. God created government to display man's ignorance. That's what it's for. It all points to one thing. God has made fools of man because of his worldly wisdom. Now, Paul gives us three examples, and we're going to finish right here today. The first one, he, Paul asks a question, where is the philosopher? Now, we get our word sophist. This is Sophia in the Greek. And so when you name your kids Sophia, your daughter Sophia, what you're saying is you want her to be a wise woman one day. That's where the word Sophia, sophist. A sophist was people like Plato and Aristotle and those people. The sophists always came around. Uh, You can see some sophists every night on Fox News and CNN. And God help you if you're watching either CNN or MSNBC. And they have just as many goobers on Fox News these days. And they get on there and they pontificate and they talk and they tell you how to solve all these problems. They're sophists. They're supposed to be the people that have all the wisdom about something. And they're going to tell us all about it. This was, these were men from any class of professional teachers in ancient Greece who gave instructions in various fields as in general culture, rhetoric, politics, or disputations as in debating. These are men who were... Who, uh, were who would disregard faith by reasoning. Now, reasoning is not wrong unless it's void of faith. God did tell us to think. Amen? This is why Jesus called himself the Word or the Lagos. Worldly philosophy claims to be the champion of reasoning. Got news for you, they're not. They're not. And Jesus is the original reasoner. For a Greek, from the Greek standpoint, John made the ultimate statement about Jesus when he called Jesus the Word. Now listen to this, Acts 17, 2-4. As his custom was, I love this, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned. The word is dia legomai, it means to preach. He preached to, he disputed with, he argued with the philosophers. He argued with them, the scripture said, it says here in Acts 17, 3, from the scriptures. One of the wisest men that's ever lived, Paul the Apostle, one of the most educated men, went to argue with the philosophers, the Jews, in the temple. When Paul was on his missionary journeys, everywhere he went, when he went into a new town, guess where he went? He went to the synagogue. And then he'd go to the town gate, and he'd go to the place in Acts. You'd see, he went around and talked to the people. He says, listen, I perceive you people are very religious. you got monuments to gods everywhere. 
You even have a monument here to the unknown God. Today, I'm going to tell you who that unknown God is. You all right? Here's a man who literally did not go with all of his training. He went with the Scripture. And today, we have preachers standing behind the pulpit this morning while I'm preaching out of my Bible, and you're opening your Bible. They're preaching a bunch of foolishness, a man-made silliness. It is ridiculous. And they think they're going to build their churches. You can, let me tell you something, you can draw a crowd, but you're not building the kingdom. And so here Paul says he went and argued with them about the, the, the Scriptures, explaining and proving Not just talking, but proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is is the Christ. He said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did a large number of uh, God-fearing Greeks. Listen, Paul says, that's why I went there, because we're going to argue and I'm going to debate with them so that some of them will come to Christ. Some of you recently have said to me, Brother Jerry, I've been witnessing and sharing with a friend And they're just ignorant. They don't get it. They won't listen to me. Just keep pounding it. Just keep pounding it. Keep pounding it. And you keep telling them. You keep telling them. And sooner or later, you'll win that battle. And if you don't, you've done your job. Listen, listen, the philosopher, you go back and you read the writings of so many philosophers. And I want to tell you, many people will end up in hell because of the philosopher. Then Paul talks about the scholar. Oh, this is one of my favorites. The scholar, this is a, a grammateus. You can hear the word grammar. Grammar in the Greek refers to the grammar, but also to, uh, to grafting or writing. These were the scholars. These were the secretaries, the writers, the scholars, the town clerk, the professors. In the strictest sense, Paul was referring to the scholars of the Word of God and the educational system. Now, isn't it unbelievable that the scribes and the Pharisees were the keepers of the Scriptures and they were the most lost people on the planet? And it shows you very clearly today, Paul says, where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where, where is he? What is going on with him? Paul was educated in Sicily. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul explains the differences between secular education and a spiritual life. But now listen very carefully. Dr. Rogers used to say this. You take a lost man, you make a philosopher out of him, and you educate him. All you've done now is made an educated devil. You okay? Now, is education wrong? Absolutely not. Is secular education wrong? Absolutely not. But you also have to add with it the spiritual aspect to be what you need to be. Nothing wrong with going to learn to be a doctor. Thank God there I've got doctors that help me. Amen. Thank God many of you are school teachers. You're, you're out there. You're, man, you're in the fight every day. We should pray for you all the time, consistently, because you do such a good job. But the biggest thing, if you ask any school teacher today, what they're fighting is worldly wisdom. They have such a hard time because they know they have to, and they present it. You, you want your children to hear someone who knows the Lord teach those principles. Amen? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you have to bow down or apologize due to your faith. Many people hide their faith because they feel like, oh, I'm going to be considered a moron if I say this. Scholarship has drawn many a Christian away from the faith. We've lost some of the best minds in Christianity because they got into things and they allowed worldly wisdom to creep into their hearts. Please don't do that. 
And I want to tell you, many of my professors at school were some of the most brilliant men that I ever knew in all my life. And there would be times that we would come to places and they would just say to us, boys, you just got to have faith in God. We don't understand everything. And I want to tell you this, many of you will talk to people that have PhDs and doctorates in, in theology and you say, oh, I just can't talk to them, man. I'll be intimidated. I'll listen very carefully. It doesn't matter what seminary you go to, and there are plenty of PhD theologians in the Southern Baptist Convention that are lost as a goose. And I want to tell you something. Listen very carefully. A man with a testimony is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can, listen, there are better preachers than I am. There are better debaters than I am. There are better philosophers, and there are better, there's better scholarship. But I want to tell you something. You can't take Jesus out of my heart. Yeah? I got the Holy Spirit in me. I know what I'm telling you is the truth. And I've been out debated, by the way. I raised my little hand in class one day in college and you just got my lunch handed to me. And then I walked out of there thinking, man, I should have shut up. I shouldn't have said anything. And the Lord said, no, don't quit talking. Now go learn what you're supposed to learn spiritually and then you can fight fair. Amen? And I did. And, I, and, and, and I'm just telling you, <laughs> You we'll we'll debate now, but you better bring your Bible. You all right? Because I've spent the last forty years pouring over it. Because I'm not backing down to the philosopher or the scholar. Paul says this in Philippians three four. If anyone thinks he's reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, for zeal, persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul's, Paul was an educated man. He said, listen, you can have all my degrees. You can have all of my education. The one thing that is so precious to me that I will never give up is that I have Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, you're smarter than the men of this world. This is what Paul said. Many scholars have missed the joy. Listen to this. Many scholars have missed the rewards of faith, the joy and the rewards of faith. The smarter a man is, the, the more intelligent he is. If he has Jesus, the more truth that he can find. He should be blessed of all people. He shouldn't be missing the truth. But I want to tell you, many scholars, many scholars will take a lot of people to hell with them. Paul says, where's the debater? Don't you love these people? I, I mean, I love them. I call them the, the nitpickers. I'm all like, yeah, but what about this? Well, this passage says this. That passage says that. It contradicts one another. And they think they're real smart. They got it all figured out. Well, come talk to me and let's see if you do. The root word describes this a little bit better. This, is, this is word refers to one who will dispute, inquire, and question, and cavil, and controvert, or reason everything. 
I had a friend one time that had a son that was going to Georgia Tech, and he was very brilliant, very smart. He was always picking apart the Bible and asking me these little nitpicky questions. And I said, I got answers to your questions, but I'm not going to answer them because your, your, your problem, son, is not that you can't understand what I'm going to tell you. It's your void of faith. And God didn't come to save the beautiful, just the beautiful and the intelligent and the brilliant. It's not about how much you know. It's about faith. You don't get saved from being smart. And thank God that's the case, or a bunch of us would be lost. I'd be one of them. But I didn't have to get intelligent. I didn't have to get beautiful. This just happened on its own. <laughs> to get saved, y'all all right? Here's what you got to get. You got to get lost. When you find out you're lost and that you're no good without yourself, you have to have Christ. The little debaters of the age... They cavil and quibble and they don't like this passage or that passage or, or evolution says this and you can't answer that. And uh, I got two questions for you, uh, if, you know, for the, the nitpickers. How did everything get designed and where did the water come from? If you can answer those two questions, you come back and then we'll talk. But until you answer those two questions, don't talk to me because you're just being idiotic. You know where those brilliant people will tell you the water came from? Meteorites coming to earth. Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? Do you know how much, you know how many meteorites have got to come here to fill the ocean up? Any person with half a brain could have figured that out. The definition of the sophist, you will see that part of the allurement of the sophist is describing and arguing skillfully or, ingenu or ingenuously, debating speciously. That means rightly through, even though lacking merit, Pleasing to the eye, but deceptive. It means that this is a professional quibbler. You can now debate me all you want to. You may just be a smooth-talking, silver-tongued rascal, but I want to tell you something. You're never going to take Jesus out of my heart, and you never prove to me with the Holy Spirit in me that what I've preached to you today is not true. Many a person will be taken to hell with the debaters. You can question and debate yourself right out of heaven. Can I ask you a question? Do you sit there during the invitation sometime, and those of you watching by way of Internet, do you sit there during the invitation sometime and say, yeah, but I, I, you know, I got a question about this, and I got a question about that, and I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. I want to tell you, you're going to question yourself right to hell. What you need to do is say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I know my life is a mess, and through manly, worldly wisdom, I've been living on my own, and Jesus, I need you right now more than anything else. And I don't want to be a Southern Baptist or a Methodist or a Pentecostal or anybody else. Right now, I just want to be a child of God. Amen. And I want you to save me. I want you to, to fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me and let the rest of my life between this day and now be useful for the kingdom of God. Amen. Worldly wisdom. Can I just read y'all something real quick? I don't usually read this much from the pulpit, but I got two reasons for it. It fits perfectly right here. And number two, I want to encourage you to read the whole thing. This is from the Pilgrim's Progress. It's just two pages, okay? And it's about Christian. And it's, uh, it's metaphorical, allegorical. And if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read it. And here's a little section where Christian is on his journey to the celestial kingdom. 
And on his way, what happens is, and, and John and Bunyan wrote this because he was put in jail for preaching the gospel. And while he was in jail, he wrote this great work of art. And this is the last part, and then we're going we're to close. So Christian's on his journey. Soon Christian crossed paths with a gentleman named Mr. Worldly Wisdom. It's a worldly wise man who is from the nearby city of Carnal Policy. Mr. Worldly Wise Man asked Christian, so where are you headed? Christian explains that he's going to the wicket gate in order to be rid of this great burden. He's got a great burden and as, as per the evangelist's advice. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man condemns evangelists right away for his counsel. The sloth of despond, he, he warns Christian, he's, he's, only, he's right there at the beginning of all your troubles, right on your journey. And he'll, he'll, he'll meet You'll meet him if you head and do what evangelist says. You're going to meet the sloth of despond. Mr. Worldly Wise Man says he's older than Christian. If Christian heedlessly follows evangelist advice, stories testify that he will encounter weariness and pain and peril and even death. Christian argues that no matter what, none of these things are worse than the burden that he's carrying. Worldly wise man also argues that since he's older, he understands the ways of the world better than Christian does. And with this, though, the book is suggesting that a Christian shouldn't automatically equate age with wisdom. Also, note that wise man advises Christian on the basis of stories, basically hearsay, not firsthand knowledge. Mr. Worldly wise man asks Christian how he got this burden. And Christian explains that he got it by reading the book that he carries with him. Mr. Worldly Wise Man says that Christian has fallen into the trap of other weak men, meddling in things that he doesn't understand. He adds that he can direct Christian onto a safer, friendlier path to get his burden relieved. He should go to the nearby village of morality and visit an honest man named Legality. Legality is skilled at removing the burdens of men like Christian. If legality isn't there, his son's civility can also help Christian just as well. So he goes on his journey. Christian decides to follow Mr. Worldly's advice. He walks past the high hill that Mr. Worldly wise man has indicated. But Christian becomes frightened that the overhanging hill will fall on his head and crush him. His burden only grows heavier, and just as Christian is growing distressed, Evangelist finds him again. And I'm going to leave you right there to make you go read the rest of it. Can I ask you a question this morning? Would you trust Jesus with what you don't know? One of my favorite stories uh, is about a an atheist and a Christian who were talking. And they had been debating, philosophizing, arguing, disputing. And finally, one day, the Christian finally got to him. He says, they were at a table, and he said, Sir, he said, I want to ask you one thing. He said, suppose we take this table right here, and we let this table represent all of the knowledge in all of the world that's ever been given to anyone. Any existing knowledge exist on this table can I ask you a question sir how much of that knowledge do you possess and the man was pretty smart but he was also very humble he said well 
I'll just take maybe a sixteenth of that knowledge, my knowledge probably right in there. And the Christian said, would you be willing to admit that maybe over here what I've told you about Jesus is true? Can I ask you a question? What's the most important thing in your life? Is it your pride, your worldly wisdom, your intelligence, your degrees, your money, your family? Why do you think Muslims are coming to Jesus Christ by the droves and being forsaken literally by their family? You know why? Because they found the truth. Would you walk away from anything and everything today that keeps you from coming to Christ? That's the message of today. When the church allows worldly wisdom to come in, you can put the nail in it. It's done. It's no longer a gospel entity. Let's stand to our feet. Father.